Linus, how you doing? We finally made it to Friday. Feels good, doesn't it? Absolutely. We got plenty of stuff to discuss on the show today as we start to head into the weekend. It is the last weekend before the All-Star break for baseball. Also, you know, Monday is the MLB draft. Monday is the home run derby. So we got a lot of that going on here. We got some stuff popping off in the Big Ten to talk about. Let's get started. It's Need to Know News. Here's your Need to Know News. Chicago baseball racking up three L's yesterday. Not good. Cubs went back and forth with Milwaukee. They lose 6-5 to five in extras. Marcus Stroman, five innings, six strikeouts, four runs. Cody Bellinger remains white hot, man. Four for the homer, three RBIs. That bumped his uh, streak to 12 straight games with a hit. Over that span, he's hitting 467 with a homer, six RBIs, 10 runs scored. Six of those 12 games have been multi-hit games. But, you know, there's two sides of the Schwartz. There's an upside and a downside. Patrick Wisdom has the downside. The slump continues over three with two strikeouts. That brings his hitless streak currently to five games. He has just two hits in his last 30 with 19 strikeouts, hitting 133 since the start of May. Taking a four-game series split wasn't the best for the Northsiders either. They have been hoping to make up some ground in the Central race on both the Brewers and the Reds, but the split left them six behind the Brew crew. And uh, the Reds have just been a wagon in the last month. They're eight behind them. Since he's won five straight, eight of their last nine, 15-17 on that big run at the beginning of June. Good news is the Cubs are 4-1 and one against the Reds so far this season with plenty of games against them in the second half. Bad news is eight games back at the break might have turned the Cubs into sellers ahead of the trade deadline. Marcus Stroman will reportedly not be extended in the offseason. Cody Bellinger, also another name, is being floated as possible trade bait. Cubs will hit the road for their last series before the All-Star break. Chicago will head to Yankee Stadium this evening where James Italian takes on Carlos Rodon. You remember that name, Southsiders, don't you? Former White Sox is making his first start for the Yankees on the season. He signed a massive six-year, $162 million deal in the offseason only to have a forearm injury creep up on him during spring training. Cubs have been top 10 in the league in hitting lefties this year, but ranked sixth in strikeouts to left-handed pitching. White Sox lost both their games in the doubleheader. Game one went to extra 0-0 for the Jays put up six in the top of the 11. Sox put up two in the bottom of the inning. I don't know how you go from zero into extras to eight total, but dang. I said I wasn't a believer in Lance Lynn yesterday. I was wrong. 11 strikeouts in seven innings. Sox blew a 3-1 lead in the second game. Aloy did homer in that one as the Jays sweep the Sox in the series and on the season. White Sox are going to host the Cardinals over the weekend. Dylan Cease on the mound will be a very welcome sight, taking on Montgomery. Yeah, they need something too, and they're probably turning into sellers at the trade deadline. Northwestern football has suspended head coach Pat Fitzgerald the next two weeks after an investigation into hazing on the football team. Not a lot going on this time of the year, but he's been suspended for two weeks without pay. It's a vacation. Northwestern practices don't start up until August. 
Northwestern football prides itself in producing not just athletes, but fine young men with character befitting the program and our university, says uh, Pat. We hold our student-athletes and our program to the highest standards. We will continue to work to exceed those standards moving forward. We don't know exactly what happened. Just that, I don't I don't know. On3 had a whole article about it to where it sounded like it wasn't maybe the most serious stuff, that it wasn't wholly organized by any, like, one student or coach, or that this is more of a, hey, Buck stops here kind of punishment, and it's really not much of a punishment, right? Uh, Aviators followed Dan's last night, 5-3. to three. The Flyboys struck out 15 times. Man, they're going to head to Terre Haute tonight. Former Purdue golfer Adam Shank in the top 10 of the John Deere after day one. He's back on the course right now. Uh, I checked right before we went on here. Two under uh, for the day through the first three holes. That puts him in eight under for the tournament. Five strokes off the lead. That lead belongs to Cam Young, who is in the clubhouse already. So uh, plenty of time here for Adam to catch up. Fellow Purdue golfer Tyler Duncan had a great round at 5-under today. He moves to 6-under total and 6 at 16th. So two guys from Purdue making the cut this weekend. You'll love to see that. And it's not official, but the Stars are aligning for another Purdue commitment today. Coach Walters with the bat signal seeming to suggest that Jamari Payne, who is set to announce today, will be a boiler. He is a three-star defensive lineman out of Alabama. There you go. That is today's Need to Know News. All right, we want to get back on it today here. Who is hot? We want to see who we can take to the bank tonight on a Friday. It was not a great day yesterday. Great conditions to hit on the south side in, in that first game, and oof, absolutely nothing. And of course, the Blue Jays are going to put Alex Manoa back out. The day after he leaves, you may remember him. He's the guy that got rocked all the time, and then they sent him down to the, I don't know, the California Penal League or something like that. It was like, no, the Florida Rec, I don't remember. It was like literally, it was a joke. And he got rocked down there, and they brought him back up. Couldn't do that against Aloy and Luis Robert, man? Come on. But let's take a look what's on tonight here. Um, let's look at Washington. We got... Some good matchups here uh, in this Nationals game. So they're taking on Texas. Cody Bradford versus Trevor Williams. Trevor Williams is giving up 18 home runs on the year. Ugh. He's almost a two-homer per nine-inning guy. So it's definitely a guy that uh, we want to uh, we want to target here. Uh, Bryce Harper, uh, three thirty three lifetime against uh, Cody Bradford. Oh no, they sw- yeah, Cody Cody Bradford. There you go. This is Alcantara. This kid has not been good either. 43 bats, one homer. Schwarber, 286 in 32 plate appearances. Bryce has hit over one and a half total bases, five of his last six. Schwarber, over one and a half hits, runs, and RBIs in seven of his last ten. Corey Seager, 333 lifetime versus Trevor Williams. 
I like Seeger. Bob, Cody, Corey, I don't care. Love me some Seeger. And Trevor Williams been pretty bad. Gave up two to Philadelphia in five innings, uh, two to Seattle in four innings. In fact, he is gone. He has two starts, I think, all season where he hasn't given up at least one homer. And he's got one, two, three, four, five games of multi-homers. So, yeah, I'm looking at Corey Seager to rack up some bases tonight. Uh, Lynch back on the mound for Kansas City. That means uh, Jose Ramirez is a play today. 444 lifetime. Rosario is 545 lifetime against him. We're also looking for some hot bats as of late. Kyle Tucker's on 13-game hit streak in Houston. Lane Thomas, 26 of his last 30, 13 straight at home. He's hitting 367 against lefties. He should be on your hits, runs, and RBIs tonight. Acuna's another guy you should probably have on that hits, runs, and RBIs tonight. That's hitting 10 straight, 15 of his last 16. He is hitting 324 against right-handed pitching this year. Those are the hitters. We got some bad pitching out here tonight. But let's take a look at Hunter Brown tonight for the Houston Astros. Over six and a half seems high, but he's hit in three straight in seven of his last nine. Seattle, second worst year to date. Fourth in the last seven days in K-rate versus right-handed pitching. Zach Gallon's at home. He's over six and a half, hitting six and nine starts, averages eight strikeouts in his home starts. Had eight versus the Pirates earlier uh, last week. Pitt is bottom seven in the last week in right-handed strikeout percentage. Everybody's high on Carlos Rodon tonight. Six and a half. He's on a pitch count, though. He's going to be on a pitch count tonight. It is the Cubs. While the Cubs, I told you earlier, have been hitting lefties in like the top 10 in Major League Baseball. They're sixth in the league in strikeout percentage. Two left-handed pitching. But I can't endorse going over six and a half on Rodon. I don't know if I can say under either. Just too many factors in that one. If you got to play it, I take the under. So those are our big plays here for tonight. That is who is hot. Best of luck to you. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back. Uh, some Big Ten football notes that we need to talk Let's talk about Jamari Payne. It's not official yet, but let's talk about it a little bit. That and more coming up next. This is the Hammer Down Show on 1017 The Hammer and 1017. Back on the Hammer Down Show on 1017 The Hammer, 1017thehammer.com. You always follow me and talk on Twitter. I am uh, at Jared on 1017. That's 1017. And you can get all kinds of great content from me. A little bit of snark. Like today, I, uh, you know, I, I, like any kid, grew up, uh, who grew up in the 90s, young male, uh, 
you like to watch the the wrestling on Monday nights, right? <laughs> Somebody, some account of posted up this thing, and it was it, it was um, wrestling during 1998. During 100 hours, 1658 crotch gestures, 434 obscene phrases, and 157 middle fingers during 100 hours of uh, WWF wrestling in 1998. And then here's the funny thing at the bottom says the source is a guy named Walter Gans, PhD, Indiana University. And I just said, leave it to a IU professor to narc on you for all your childhood fun in the 90s. Turns out the guy's still at IU. I Googled it. <laughs> oh, is there, there's nothing worse, man, than getting away with stuff that you probably shouldn't be getting away with. And then the news runs, they always do it during sweeps. What are your kids really texting? What do they mean when they say Netflix and chill? You might be shocked and surprised. Blow up your spot on the news, man. Anyway. All right, so uh, we're into, uh, we're, we're still got some basketball stuff to talk here. July is usually a pretty dead-ish kind of period. Uh, no camps. There, there's a recruiting dead period in there as well. Coaches on vacay. It's all good. And then practices pick up in August. Uh, but we do have a scheduled announcement for um, Alabama defensive lineman Jamari Payne. We got a bat signal from Coach Walters. So it would seem like it's uh, it, it's imminent. Unless there's somebody else that he's referring to with time to get strong in the trenches uh, outside of the defensive lineman that has already announced that he will be making his commitment sometime today. I'm connecting the X and O's here. So, if this does come to fruition, that's another solid pickup. And the 20th pickup for Ryan Walters in the class of 2024. On three's got him kind of high, a three-star. 24-7's got him in a three-star. ESPN and Rivals apparently don't have a rating for him. But I went to the tape, and the thing that stands out to me when you watch the tape on this kid, I six. 6'3", 245, and I think he said in his uh, junior season video, like if I, if I load up the junior season video, that um, he's up to like 250 and maybe like 6'4". But he looked good. He clearly looks bigger than most of the guys they're putting on him, which is a little bit shocking for being like 6'4", 250 defensive end. Maybe it's smaller school football in Alabama that he plays. I'm not 100% sure on that, but it really didn't seem like one or two blocks really phased him. The thing that really stood out to me when I watch him is really the, the, the kind of the gap discipline that he has. Like, he's not out here just specifically hunting for tackles in the backfield, for for sacks. I mean, he blows right through the spot. And then he holds that position. 
And the result is you'll see plenty of these tackles in the backfield. You'll see running backs running right into him. Um, you know, you'll see him force guys around. I mean, he's he's great when he's supposed to go after the quarterback. Great vision when he's supposed to go, he goes. Seems like he has some solid speed. It's not mind blowing speed, but he definitely looks like a terror out there. It reminds me, I don't want to set the bar super high for him and unrealistically, but a lot of times when I watch it, it kind of reminds me of watching George against a Benton Central or, you know, one of these smaller two-way schools in the Hoosier. I really don't have too much of an answer for him, even if you've got a bigger guy, not athletic enough. But in every clip, I mean... He's got his eyes on the football every time. He's very patient. He holds that edge when he's supposed to. Very disciplined in that. He's a smart football player. Now, I know there's some talk maybe he could be outside linebacker. They need linebacker in this class. He certainly has the size to do that. Does he? I, I don't know that he's got sideline to sideline speed that you need to cover all these guys, maybe he does. But overall, I like him. You don't see a lot of guys get a, a very good push on him, and when they do double-team him, he still he keeps the legs going. He's in the backfield, just waiting. Let's the play come to him and then makes it. You see him line up as defensive line, but you also see him kind of move into like a tackle spot at times, and he's still successful even there in the uh, in the interior. So I think uh, a good find here, you look at the offers, and I know some people just look at the offers and try to judge what you got. I mean, between Troy, Jacksonville State, Old Miss is in there too. But, you know, Missouri had offered, Indiana had offered, Memphis. You know, Purdue and Missouri, probably the two biggest. Well, Ole Miss, I guess I shouldn't discount Ole Miss. It is the SEC. But still, I like him. His on three rating of 88, industry ranking 88, would put him, let's see here, one, two, three, four, five. About sixth in this class, right there with uh, Jaheim Merriweather, who has a four-star ranking from on three. So he's right there. I think a solid fit. I would hope that he can go to linebacker just because of what you've got right now in this class. And there's a big need, I thought, in this class because uh, there's not an inside or an outside linebacker in there unless somebody else is going to shift, which... Could very well do. I think you needed one more interior guy. That would be helpful, but you definitely needed some help at linebacker, I thought. But as always, and we talked about this, at this point, where we're at in college football, 
with the NIL, with the bad guys. Sometimes it's not just about getting them, it's about holding on to them. So we'll see what happens going forward here, but all I'm told, this could be the 20th commitment for Purdue in the class of 2024. It's already got anywhere from like 23, I think, to like 18, depending on what service you go by in the ranking. You're in the middle of the Big Ten. This is good out of the gate for Coach Walters and company. By the way, if you have not, and I... I hope it's not behind the paywall. But I'll tell you what, Tom has a great, Tom Deanhart has a great, great, go find it on his Twitter. Great article that breaks down how it went from Coach Walter's perspective. It broke down the timeline of him coming in, working with Coach Dennison, and then getting Hudson Card, like working that whole thing. Great story. You got to read that if you have the chance. Tom's got it on his Twitter. I think Newbert also uh, retweeted it. Take yourself a minute and read that because it was a just phenomenal timeline of events that'll make you feel even better about this coaching staff. Not that you felt bad about it to begin with, but uh, boy, it uh, it definitely feels good. Hang tight. Well, we'll come right back. I got more Hammer Down Show for you next. Hammer Down Show, 1017 The Hammer, 1017TheHammer.com with your host, Jared Jessalitis. Thanks for making me part of your Friday here. I-, I was taken back by this, probably like you all were too. Coach Pat Fitzgerald suspended from Northwestern football for two weeks without pay over hazing incidents. Where the heck did this come from? What the heck is going on? According to On3.com in January this year, just at the conclusion of the season, school launched an investigation of hazing allegations with the football program. They hired an outside investigator. They provided an executive summary of their findings Friday and the punishments that will ensue. Current and former players varied on their perspective of the conduct. However, the investigation team determined that the complaints claims were largely supported by the evidence gathered during the investigation, including separate and consistent first-person accounts from current and former players. While the investigation did not uncover evidence pointing to specific misconduct by an individual football player or coach participation in or knowledge of the hazing activities was widespread across football players. So there's no widespread evidence that knew that the coaches thought this was going on. But apparently there was plenty of opportunity for them to find out about the hazing, and they just never got around to it. Quote, the investigation team did not discover sufficient evidence to believe the coaching staff knew about the ongoing hazing conduct. They determined, however that there had been significant opportunities to discover and report the conduct. Now, the thing is, there's nothing in here that describes exactly what this is. Want to hear how it's varied, how current and former players viewed this as hazing, and they didn't all necessarily agree on it, makes me just wonder a little bit. 
Now, I'm not going to take hazing lightly. You know, some some of the stuff that's happened over the years, I mean, forcing kids to drink and things like that, do dangerous stuff, absolutely. Now, is hazing making the rookies carry the pads and stuff too? Probably qualifies as that. They get the short end of the stick on things, things like that. Is, is, is that what we're talking about here? Not trying to justify, not trying to minimalize it, but there is a difference between that and that, right? So if it's that minimalistic, why not just go ahead and mention it? But if it's severe in nature, then this is a laughable suspension. It's not even a suspension. What's he make a year, Pat Fitzgerald? What's he making versus $5.75 million? So if I take $5.7 million, I divide that down. We're talking... 200, is it like, I don't know. That's too much math for me. It's not, in the grand scheme of things, a ton of money, right? Maybe like 150 k for him? You mean it's a good amount of money for him? Come on. So I guess that's the first thing that stood out here to me in this whole report is if it's not big enough to mention this kind of stuff, then... Why why a token suspension and not mention it? That just seemed odd to me. I, I don't whatever they did, it's it's I don't I really want to be careful how I word this because you know a lot of stuff has happened very badly, you know what I mean? But whatever it is, it seemed to be varied in the opinions of current and former players whether it qualified as hazing to begin with. I'm not trying to justify it. I'm just saying that this seems like uh, Northwest is like, listen, it really wasn't anything, but we're going to do something anyway uh, to, to punish the coaches that apparently had opportunities to figure out there was hazing going on but then didn't do or report anything or know that it was hazing. This seems weird. How do you have in? How, I mean, how do you have incidents? Like I said, we need to know what it is. Now, Northwestern's taking a lot of uh, steps now to make sure this stuff doesn't happen again. Fitzgerald's on the two-week suspension. Football practices at quote Camp Kenosha in Wisconsin are permanently discontinued. University will require monitoring of the football locker room by someone who doesn't report to the football coaching staff. So there's just going to be a random employee that's in the locker room at all times, I guess. University will create an online reporting tool specifically for student-athletes to anonymously report incidents of potential hazing or hazing-related concerns. Seems good to have. University will provide and require annual mandatory anti-hazing training. Figured that's kind of stuff that they already get, right? University will form an 
internal working group comprising Northwestern leaders across various disciplines to create a report on policy development, organizational culture, communication, training, and enforcement. That group will solicit input from external experts and will make their report open to the entire community. Northwestern Athletics will better utilize the annual student-athlete survey, and Northwestern Athletics will work with the NCAA and the Big Ten to ensure all processes and rules are followed. So, and that's how they're going. But still, I feel like we should at least get somewhat of an idea of what's going on so that we can react and figure out eh, if this is something that's like a fireable offense. Are we on target here? Is it blown out of proportion? Uh, we just don't know. The only thing I know is, if you were looking for a display of discipline that doesn't really enforce anything, taking two weeks off in the middle of July for a football coach is about a nothing a burger as you can just about get. I mean, can they even have Kids on campus during that two weeks? Are they going to eat? Or did they even have anything? Like I said, it's just, it's all a little bizarre. It's a little out of left field because we didn't know about it. That was a little taken back because you just wouldn't think Northwestern is a place where that stuff's going on. I wish we would get more details in this. Maybe that's me just being a little nebby, but I don't know about you. I feel like it's a little bit harder to process all of this when you don't really have any of the details, what triggered this, what it was. How it got disclosed into who in the first place. I don't know, man. It just seems really, really random and wordy without telling you very much about what's gone on with this. Uh, we'll see if that affects the recruiting. Not that you know they're recruiting at a super high level to begin with. They've got to be what third or second to last in the Big Ten. Everybody's still in front of IU. But yeah, this is, this is a small blight on the Pat Fitzgerald record. That's for sure. We're gonna take one more break. We're gonna come back. We're gonna wrap it up. Things we may have missed. Uh, we got a Boilermaker name change on the football team here to talk about that and more and the things we missed. And we'll wrap up the Hammer Down Show for the week. And it's the Hammer Down Show on 1017 The Hammer, 1017TheHammer.com with Jared Jesselitis. Let's get some things that we may have missed. NFL Stadium drama, man. Apparently, you may remember this. We talked a, a couple of weeks ago about the Jaguars possibly playing games at Daytona International Speedway. Yeah, that Daytona. Well, apparently they're very serious about it. Myself, personally, and our team, we spent some time in Jacksonville meeting with their leadership in a variety of follow-up phone calls with architects, engineers, and design firms, really looking at our property, our footprint, and understanding what is available, uh, says the uh, Speedway president. I mean, they're still calling this an interesting solution while they have these upgrades to TIA Bank Field, which could take up to 30 months, they said. 
So that would necessitate the Jaguars playing uh, elsewhere in 2026-2027. It's also going to require a billion in taxpayer money. This is... Uh, can you just build a whole new place for that? This is worse than when the Coyotes had to play at Arizona State for a season. It's so best. I mean, but this is an actual thing that could be happening. How about the Commanders going back to RFK Stadium? Not exactly, but sort of. According to the Washington Post, apparently there's uh, legislation prepared in D.C. that could ultimately allow D.C. to be the home once again for the commanders on the site of RFK Stadium. Currently, D.C., Maryland, and Virginia would like the team, especially because it does not have Daniel Snyder anymore. By the way, that switch goes over here, I think, in the next couple of weeks. Technically, the National Park Service leases the stadium site to D.C. under an agreement that runs through 2038, but the stadium development deal would extend the lease by 99 years. NFL owners are due to meet uh, here in about two weeks with a vote on approving the sale of the commanders. And then once Harris takes over, this can all kind of go forward. They're going to get a new stadium. Just don't know where yet. But they moved to Virginia. Or Maryland. Can they still be the Washington Commanders? Just seems weird to me. Uh, We've got a name change. On your Purdue roster. Nick Carraway season is done. It's over. Long live Nick Scourton season, who he's changing the name. Apparently siblings all have that last name. He's taking the last name of his father. Congratulations to Nick on that. You'll have to give me a little bit of leeway here. I will snap into it here, I'm sure, soon. But uh, a long tradition of Purdue football players who have changed their names while here at Purdue... (laughs) Some of them we just didn't know. We called Kwan short, Kwan short for how long, and then it was just Kwan. Xander Horvath was previously known as what Alexander Horvath. Who else? God, there's a couple other too. I know somebody's shouting at their radio right now, listening to this. I'm missing one other big one too, like how we pronounce the name. Oh man, that's going to drive me up a wall for the next week. Unless, like, Charters is listening, he'll definitely text me and be like, oh, dude, you're leaving out, like, three guys. See, there it is. Always forget about that stuff. But best of luck to Nick. I'm very high on him. You know that. If you listen to the show, you know how high I've been on him since day one, since we had him on the show when he committed. I I watched the tape. He was, like, a three-star when we got him. I'm like, this kid ain't no three-star. Easily a four-star, and he got it by the time he got here. And if you are a big fan of Purdue... Sponsoring an Indy car for the Indy 500? Boy, we got more good news for you. Purdue has partnered with SRX Series to showcase a uh, the, the new Purdue University in Indianapolis. So they're going to put their uh, the, the thing on the car here, which is going to be driven 
by Elio Castroneves and Tony Kanan during the 2023 season on ESPN. It says, I love it. And you're getting two of the big guys, two big names in Indy 500 lore. You put them in a Purdue car? Oh, let's go. Oh, let's go. Great job by Purdue. I'm excited for this whole Purdue University in Indianapolis thing. No more IUPY. By the way, did we ever find out who gets the sports teams? I'm assuming Indiana keeps it. Because I haven't heard much on the Purdue side. Or are they just dissolving the athletic department altogether? I don't know. I, I legitimately have not found out about that. But yes, congratulations to uh, everybody working on that, because that was cool. I thought it was very cool when we did this during the 500. I know it was just a small thing there, but it was still pretty cool to see it on a car uh, at the 500. It's all good stuff for your Boilermakers. You love to see it. That's going to do it for us here on the uh, Hammer Down Show. I want to thank you guys for listening this week. Next week, we're back. Kyle Charge is going to fill in for me on Tuesday some family stuff to take care of, daddy-daughter day, so he'll be filling it on Tuesday, something for you to look forward to, but I will be back on Monday, back here on the Hammer Down Show, 1017 The Hammer, 1017 The Hammer.